Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. If you're listening to this show, then I know you're a person who cares about their liberty. There's also a good chance you're tired of waiting around for political change, tired of being duped by political parties like the LP, filling you with hope and then never coming through. If you're ready to take matters into your own hands, then I want to tell you about a new community called the Nomad Network. The Nomad Network is the number one community for liberty-minded people just like you who want to create freedom in their lifetime by focusing on entrepreneurship, investment, and income mobility. I first met Jason Stapleton, the founder of the Nomad Network, almost two years ago when I was a guest on his podcast, and he has now recently been a guest on my podcast for episode 172. From the moment I met him until today, I have been impressed with the practical, no BS approach he takes to helping people to navigate the world of entrepreneurship. So whether you have an existing business, are looking to start one, or simply want to network with other like-minded people, the Nomad Network is the place for you. And the best part is it's free to join. Just go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash network right now to see what everyone is talking about. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash network to get your free account today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is the owner of iSales Solution, a company that helps sales leaders and business owners build effective sales systems so they can focus on growing their organization. Originally from the United States, he moved to the Dominican Republic in the summer of 2017 and has been working fully remote for the last five years. Please welcome to the show my very good friend, Matthew Isalas. Matt, how are you? I'm doing good, Mikkel. Thank you so much for having me. And I. Really excited to be able to spend the next hour or so talking, just learning a little bit more about what it is to work remote, be able to live abroad. Absolutely. So, I mean, you and I have been friends for what, two or three years now. And actually, you're an expat. I don't know why I haven't had you on the show up until this moment, but let's remedy that. Why don't we kind of start off with your backstory? How did you get into sales and start building your business? How did you end up in Dominican Republic? I want to hear it all. So that sounds good. So everything kind of flows together. The reason why I do what I do, I work remote, is because I moved abroad, right? And I feel like a lot of expats, they move abroad specifically because they want to improve their financial situation. They know cost of living is less elsewhere. Uh, And that was definitely a consideration for me. But for me, it was actually just because my wife is Dominican. Back in 2015, I studied abroad. I took a semester abroad in the Dominican Republic. I went to University of South Carolina for undergrad. And my sophomore year in the spring semester 2015 is when I got to study and I chose the Dominican Republic. So I chose the Dominican Republic because uh, my dad's side of the family is from Puerto Rico. So it's the next island over and it allowed me to experience a lot of the same culture I was somewhat familiar with while still having that study abroad experience. So I studied abroad and while I was there for the semester, I met my wife. She was also a student at the same university I was studying abroad and she's a doctor, right? So we met 2015, we started dating uh, pretty soon after and we got engaged 2015 as well, right? So I already knew from that point that I was most likely moving down there. I didn't know exactly what I was doing. I had actually studied international relations and Spanish literature for undergrad. 
But I knew that I could be more flexible than my wife's career, where she was studying to be a doctor in the Dominican Republic. And if you're a doctor in the Dominican Republic, it's not easy to transition to the United States unless you pass the steps that MLE, I think it's called. You take those tests and you start your residency again. Right. So I knew that I was going to be moving down there. And that happened two years later when I graduated from university in 2017. And that's when I made the transition down to the Dominican Republic. So you actually went back to the States for a little bit, had like an interim period and then did like long distance relationship or were you like going down all the time or how did that look? Yeah. So it was a long distance relationship. Like I said, we met in 2015. We were engaged in 2015 and it was two years of us being engaged long distance, right? But I was able to travel down, you know, as a student, I was working some side jobs. I worked at Chick-fil-A for a bit. I did some undergraduate research as well, which let me, you know, come down and, and do some, you know, research here. So that allowed me to visit, I'd say three to four times a year and be able to visit for about a week at a time. So uh, it was pretty good. It wasn't the most ideal situation. I wish that I could have been, you know, closer for that time because having in a relationship long distance always inevitably puts some strain on the relationship, right? So two years of that. And then 2017, I graduated. We got married, you know, a couple months after you know, I moved down and then we got married right away. So it was really a quick transition. Yeah, no doubt. But I mean, when you know, you know, I think that a lot of people will attest to that for sure. So then talk to me a little bit about the business side. How did you go from studying Spanish literature to now building a business and helping companies with CRMs and their sales process and their marketing process and all of these? Yeah, that's a good question. So when I came down, I actually had a buddy of mine, Andrew. He was also doing some work in the DR. I actually went to high school with him. He, you know, and we ended up, I, I, paths ended up crossing many years later. He set me up with a job in a call center. So the Dominican public is very well known for business process operations, BPOs. And he was able to set me up with somebody that he knew who ran a call center. So I started there. I started there working just as a, a normal outbound sales rep or telemarketing rep, and we were earning $600 per month. So, you know, I, I just did some rough calculations. That's less than $4 an hour. So coming from the United States where that's well below the, the minimum wage, that was kind of a shock to my system. Obviously, the cost of living is a lot less, but it was still, I knew that we had to tighten up our budget, right? Locally, that's not a terrible wage, right? If you get out of college and you start with that, even now as inflation has made the peso less you know, valuable than it was, it's still a decent salary out of college, but it puts some constraints on us. So we we're there for, I was there for six months. And then we found out, because I got married right away once I moved down there, that my wife was pregnant. We're going to have our first child, which was amazing news. And that's really what kicked us in gear and said, hold up. Yes, telemarketing isn't the best thing in the world, but you know, it was, it was a safe job there. I knew that I wouldn't lose my job working there, but I knew that we couldn't live off of that salary. My wife then and still is actually in her residency program. So while she's very advanced in agree and her knowledge of medicine, she's still working off of a stipend. She's not getting a doctor's salary, which you know in the DR's loss anyway. I knew at that point that one, I was going to have to take care of the child. I wanted to take care of the child, my daughter, my Abigail. And I knew that I had to make more money. So at that point, you know, after six months, come the new year, uh, 2018, that's when I made the transition and said, okay, I need to find my way out, figure out how I can make more money and also take care of, out of a daughter at the same time. Okay. So I guess this is probably an opportune time to kind of paint a picture of what you do for a living. And this is actually how we met because I started engaging your services as a consultant for my business, which was hugely valuable to me, a completely new skill set that I did not know myself. And you handheld me through the entire thing. And now I think that we've worked together three, four, five times, something like that. Yeah. So this is where we get to the transition period. I was in telemarketing. I knew I hated it. That's not what I studied. And I, I didn't like it anyway. It's horrible being hung up to, you know, a hundred times per day or whatever. Right. So I knew that I had to make more money, but I didn't know how then. And, and I think this might happen with a lot of expats is maybe they are early in their career, or maybe they work in a career where it doesn't transition too well for remote work, or it's just hard to find, you know, clients and what they do. Right. So when you get to this point, what you have to do is you have to figure out what are the skill sets and, and knowledge experiences that I have 
And how can I monetize that? So that's what I did. When I was working in telemarketing, we worked with a very basic CRM, customer relationship management tool. And I didn't like calling, but I liked the system behind it that could automatically schedule follow-ups and stuff like that. I transitioned from working in the call center to doing telemarketing again, because that's what I knew at the time, for a private client, a sales coach in the United States. I was with him for six months. Unfortunately, it didn't work out because as that same client of mine, that sales coach told me that none of his clients would hire me as a salesperson because I was not good at sales. But, and he said it nicely. He, he was a very nice guy and I do appreciate the time I had. With him. But then again, led to another transition period or, where I had to decide what is it that I knew. At that point, I got introduced to Pipe Drive, which is the main CRM that I now consult on. And again, I said, okay, I hate telemarketing. I need to get out of it and I need to find work quickly. What do I know? I knew pipe drive. I knew how to set it up, configure it, automate some things. So then the, the moment I got fired from that job, that's when I decided to just start putting my services online. So I started with putting my services on Upwork, on Fiverr, stuff like that. And then slowly over time, I started to build a client base. And, then, and that's how it went. Well, I like that. It's not just that you are a CRM specialist, which you are, especially now after years of experience but also that you've picked specific CRMs that you will work in. So you are like the go-to guy for this type of software. So that will allow someone to charge a premium. And I think this is a general lesson for any new entrepreneur who's going out there and trying to build a business or trying to start something remote. Specialization is still so important. I mean, there is a comeback of the generalist and can do a little bit of everything. I mean, there's still a big spot for the specialist who knows that specialized information who can solve the problem instantly. And that's what I keep coming back to you for is like, I could spend 50 hours <laughs> trying to research this thing online, or I can give you a call, consult with you, and in 10 minutes, it's done. And I can move on to building my business, which is what I really want to do. I don't want to spend time figuring out the software and things like that. Paying a premium from someone who knows how to do it, I'll do that all day long. Yeah, no, it's really a sliding scale, right? When you start out, you're just trying to figure out how you can make money and survive. You need definitely to be a generalist, right? You need to say, okay, I would take tasks on any type of CRM. If somebody said, oh, I need help with Pipedrive, great. I need help with HubSpot, Zoho, SalesMate, any of those CRMs, if somebody said it, I said, okay, I, I know the basics of what a CRM does and how it should function. I can learn really quickly on the job to get it done. And so you start out as a generalist, but then once you see, okay, I'm getting a lot of clients for pipe drive. People come back to me a lot for pipe drive. I know then that I can niche down. I don't have to worry about the, the flow of clients I have. And then that's where as well, where you can also start to charge more. I think that the two biggest lessons that I learned is after you find something that sticks, niche down, specialize on that, and then start raising your rates. When I started out, I started out based on what I knew. I started out knowing that as a telemarketer, I could charge $5 an hour. And that's what I did. Each client, I, I raised it up slowly, a couple of dollars each time. I, I finished a project and raised my rates a little bit. And, and that's good at first, especially when you're trying to get over the fear of clients kind of rejecting you because of price. And that has a lot to do with psychology of you think of, oh, would I pay that? When really your clients are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, they can pay for it. They can pay for a lot more, right? For sure. Um, so it was really actually when I got a mentor of mine, he really pushed me to push up my prices, right? To go from $15 to 25 to 50 to 75 up to 100 now. And that's because when you become specialized, you can charge that rate because it saves the client a bunch of time. Absolutely. And those are Great, great lessons for anyone who is looking to move overseas and start a new remote career. Now, I want to pivot a little bit. I want to actually focus on what is a CRM and say that we have like professionals, lawyers, doctors, accountants, uh, new business owners who do not have a CRM set up in their business. Maybe you can kind of explain more about what a CRM does, how it helps you, why it's so valuable and why someone might want to put it into their business. Yeah, of course. Thank you for the question. So there's a couple of different CRMs out there, but they typically fall into two main categories, right? You can have a marketing CRM 
and you can have a sales CRM, right? So the, the side that I focus on is more sales uh, CRMs, right? That's what Pipedrive does. Um, but basically, it's a tool for you to generate outbound or inbound sales. Outbound meaning that you're trying to go out and get them inbound, meaning that they're coming to you, they're filling out web forms, something like that. Log all that information, all those potential sales opportunities in one place, and then pursue them efficiently and effectively through emailing, texting, calling, and all of that information can be logged in the system, right? So a lot of small businesses, maybe the accountants, the lawyers, I've, I've worked with a lot of people like that, they might start out working in a Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet, right? So this is the evolved version of that, where all of that information is there. It functions as a Rolodex, but much more than that. You can define a sales process, a, re a repeatable process, and then you can execute on it based on the, the configuration that you set up in your system. Well, I know with a lot of the people that I've worked with, like I, I mentioned lawyers and accountants, I mean, that is people who I work with on a lot of the occasions with my private clients. It's interesting when I see their business and I, and I start making these relationships with them, how they have their sales process set up or really... <laughs> it should be more lack of sales process because I mean, it's like if something is at the top of their inbox, then they'll get to it. And if it's not, well, then it's gone. If someone makes an inquiry and you don't get a response on the very first try, then that lead is just dead to them. They just move on to the next one. So I think it's really interesting for a lot of these types of professions to take their business to the next level. I think it is just an absolute logical step to keep you organized and just to keep you sane on your business by having these systems in place. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the, the biggest problem that the clients that I've had have had is they just haven't defined the process, right? And typically that's what the first meeting with my clients is, is okay, how do you get new sales opportunities or leads, right? And then it's just a series of, okay, what next? What has to happen next? And you, you slowly start to define the system. If you define the system, you make sure that more of, of those sales opportunities don't fall through the cracks, right? Just because you forgot to send a follow-up message, right? Or, or just because, you know, you didn't send them something you said that you'd send them. And you also have the opportunity to follow up with leads that maybe were lost at the time just because they weren't ready to move on. It really does a great job at increasing sales and really allowing you to see what is the, the health of your pipeline, right? Which is the, you know, the end of the sales process and even forecast, right? And say, okay, right now I have $15,000 in my pipeline and my win percentage across the pipeline is 70%. I know hopefully that within the next month, I might be able to close 10,000 or something like that, right? And so yes, it, it is a very valuable tool for, for small businesses. Well, and I would also imagine that you can start to define things. If I get this amount of leads in, I'm going to convert them to this step, which means that this amount of people will engage me, which will equal this much dollars. So it's kind of a formula, X equals Y equals. And so if you can increase the traffic on the front end, then you know what you're going to be able to predict coming out the back end. I think that this adds so much stability to the business instead of kind of guessing. As an entrepreneur, it's like, where is my money coming from? Who are my best people? What are they like? What? How do you communicate? It's really difficult to test any of these types of things if you're not tracking your metrics. Yeah, it allows you to track metrics and it also really allows you to identify those weak points, right? So if you set up a pipeline and you're able to report on the stage conversion, right, or win rates or stuff like that, you can say, okay, I have five steps in my process. A lead comes in, we schedule a discovery call. After the discovery call, we send them a contract and then they sign the contract and we begin work, right? Well, if you see that the conversion rate from the first stage when they send in an inquiry to the second stage where you book a meeting is 50%, you're losing 50% of opportunities, then that gives you an understanding of, oh, okay, this is a part where we can increase you know, the, the flow of, of clients to that next stage and eventually close more deals, right? So you might be able to, to pinpoint and say, well, maybe it's taking us too long to respond to inquiries, right? Response time is very important, especially for some industries more than others, and getting clients because people continue shopping online, continue looking at other websites. And if you don't respond to them quickly, they could go to somebody else. Maybe your meeting scheduling process isn't straightforward. Maybe it's 
a long process or it's just a lot of back and forth and clients just get fed up and move somewhere else, right? Maybe it's that people are submitting an inquiry because they think that you do a service that you don't and you have to update your messaging and your marketing or on your website. So having a clearly defined process allows you to forecast really well, understand your conversion rates, and then start to pinpoint where you're able to improve the process and how. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So is a CRM system a static thing that you're going to be setting up once and then it's a set it and forget it? Or is this more of like an organic living, breathing piece of software, which will grow and adapt with you? Definitely, you know, it's a living, breathing software that you're supposed to spend every day in. Now, it, it depends what type of sales that you're doing. Some people are in the field, as it's called, and, and they're visiting businesses, they're traveling a lot. So maybe they're just updating things on the phone for a CRM mobile app or something like that. But if you're working from your computer, your CRM should be the hub of all sales communications and your business. You start your day in, in the CRM and you end your day in the CRM, making sure that you are keeping things up to date, moving things along the pipeline, communicating and following up with clients that you need to, to do so with. Yeah, it's really the central piece of your the sales part of your organization. Okay, brilliant. So then explain to me, like, what are some of the challenges? Because I've seen many times CRMs get set up and then the people don't use them or they revert back to the spreadsheet and these types of documents because I don't know why, actually, I'm not sure why. What are some of like the most common things that you've seen when working with clients that kind of hold them back from utilizing the full potential of these? So I'd say it comes down to a couple of factors. The first factor is not investing the time to learn the tool, right? Now, some CRMs are easier to use than others. I chose Pipedrive because it's one of the easiest and most intuitive to use. But any system, any app, takes a while to, to figure out, right? Even if, if somebody tries to log into Facebook or Instagram or anything like that for the first time, if you don't know how to navigate it, then it just, it's too much, right? So you need to make sure whether you're alone or with a team that you invest the time to set it up properly at first, right? That anyone who's involved in, who will be involved in, in managing the CRM has a voice in how it's going to be set up. And then two, that you have proper training afterwards and proper rules about how things should be done. Because I have set up systems for clients where they say, okay, I need this, 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 and done. After that first meeting, they have you know poor communication with me, even though I keep on reaching out. I set up the system. And then six months later, somebody from the team reaches out and say, hey, this system's not working. And well, it's because they never learned how to use it properly. So I would say that's one thing is you got to make sure that you have a good onboarding process, making sure your team uses it and, and that people are accountable to the system. So if everything's working properly after a while uh, of using the system, you should have good metrics and reports to go off of. So you can have a, a weekly or monthly meeting, depending on what type of sales that you do and with your team member and say, hey, it looks like you've only completed you know 75 calls this month. That's a bit low. What's going on? And then they say, well, either they have been slacking off or they're just not logging in. And then that's a problem of, again, they need to make sure they adapt the tool. So proper onboarding and training is, is one thing. Another big issue that I run into as well is the balance between systemizing and automating. And I say this because I have some clients that have sell lower level products or services that might be a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks. Those are you know, lower ticket items. And when the product isn't that valuable and it's a little bit more of a transactional sale, yeah, you can automate a lot. But when you get into the point where you're selling things worth tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars, your focus needs to be on systemizing, making it as easy as possible to follow you know, a specific sales plan without automating and losing that personal touch. I mentioned this because I have some clients or seen some people who want to automate everything. And when the automations don't work as they expected, or they don't know how to manage the automation, so automated emails go out when they shouldn't and it's a mess, that forces some people to say, oh no, forget about it. I'm just going to go back to the spreadsheet. Right. So it's, it's understanding also, and it depends on the CRM, but what a CRM can do and what it can't do and what it should do for you. If you don't align that correctly, then you're much more likely to just go back to the spreadsheet. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for your first point, I'm kind of thinking back now, maybe like five or six years ago when I first tried to get into CRMs, downloading a 14-day free trial and then looking at 900 different buttons and functions and features and things and just being completely overwhelmed, kind of staring at it or trying to goof around with it for an hour or two and then just being like, all right, this is too much and abandoning it. So I think that is such a strength when working with you because we didn't start our calls by like you going, okay, here's the CRM and this is what this button does and this is what this button does. We started in a Google document. It's like, okay, define your sales process. All right, what happens next? So how do you talk to people? How do you want to interact? What are the things you're looking for? You know, you mentioned mobile. Are you going to be using it when you're out on the road? Do you need it to be, have a special application for that? All of these types of things. So working with you saved me a ton because I didn't get overwhelmed. I was actually like really gentle and easy. And then when I actually did jump into the CRM three weeks later or something like that, you had either removed a lot of the the functions and features that did not speak to my business and installed and fleshed out the ones that were important to my business. That is like so massively valuable because you get this what do they call it? Like deer in the headlights type of reaction with these pieces of software. And it can be so overwhelming. And I would consider myself very advanced and not just very smart, but very, 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 very in tune with technology, how software works. I probably use about 50 different pieces of software for my business at any one time. I know how it functions. I'm able to adapt extremely quickly. And even for me, this was way too much. So after trying several times to do it on my own, working with a professional was a no-brainer for me, an absolute no-brainer. Yeah. And if we stick to the, the topic, but move to a kind of different theme here, talking about working with professionals, I kind of have an antidote for when I moved to the DR, right? So a, a good story is when I first moved here, you know, obviously I knew I'm, I'm here to stay in the DR because it's where my wife's career set up. We have a family now and I knew that we're going to stay here. So I had, you know, apply to make sure I have the residency visa, not just the tourist visa, stuff like that. The process for me getting the residency visa wasn't that complicated, but I just didn't know what I was doing. And that brought a lot of frustration, a lot of, you know, unnecessary anger at the government saying it's taking too long. Where really, any government around the world is going to take a long time. And I just wasn't informed about the process, how it work, how long it would take. Right. I find that especially when you have a little bit money and, and which means that you have a little bit more flexibility is consider working with professionals that are highly specialized in a certain area because that can make your life a whole of a heck lot easier. Yes, absolutely. I see it on a very regular time <laughs> with my business over and over and over again. People will try to do things that they should probably not do themselves because they think it's going to save them money. Actually, I've seen it with Panama. I mean, I've helped so many people move down here to Panama and they decide that they want to do the residency process them, themselves. And two years later, and they're still trying to work through it and they can't figure things out. And I'm like, I could have sorted that out for you in two months or three months. We would have had you your residency. You would be on your way to citizenship. And yeah, it's a couple of thousand dollars on the front end, but then you sorted, you know that it's going to be okay. You try to save thousand bucks or 500 bucks or something. And it's like, it's ridiculous. I mean, anytime that you can shortcut time and pay people for their experience, I do that, as I said earlier, all day long. Yeah. Okay. We'll just take a quick break. Recently, my really good friend, Ollie Richards has released a whole set of new language programs under his Uncovered series. These are the exact programs that I use to go from really crummy Spanish to fluent in less than two years. My whole family uses these programs. We've watched a lot of his videos and learned from him and his methods. This guy speaks eight languages. So really, when you're learning from him and his system and his organization, you can trust that the methods really do work. Listen, if you guys want to be an expat, if you want to be a digital nomad, if you want to travel the world, then I think it is really important to learn the local languages of the country that you're going to be in. Not only do you get a richer experience from doing so, but it also shows a lot of respect. And honestly, it's a lot of fun. So even if you have done programs in the past and, and think to yourself that you can't learn another language or you tried this in high school and it didn't work, I promise these programs that Ollie does are based on cutting-edge research and brand-new 
ways of doing this. So I really want you guys to take a look. All you have to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language, and you can check these courses out. They are well worth the money, and I fully endorse them. I hope you guys get a chance to check them out, expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. Okay, let's jump back into the interview. You know, when, when you get a lot of professions, and I know, for example, when a lot of salespeople get into the profession of, of sales, one thing that, that comes up in a lot of sales training books and everything is defining what the value of your time is, right? So if you make, I don't know, you know, $48,000 a, a year and, you know, you can break that down to say, okay, that means on average, you know, in an eight-hour workday, my one hour is worth this much time then that makes it easy to decide how much time will I most likely have to spend on getting my residency or whatever it is. And will that cost me more or less money than just paying somebody to do it who knows the process and can do it quicker? Well, and then that's a good segue because I think that CRMs are more than anything, a huge time saver. If I had to track everything manually that a CRM does, oh my God, I would never get any other work done. So talk to me a little bit about the advantages for this. Like on the time front, what does that look like? Yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can save time with this year. First thing is automating some things like tracking when new opportunities come into your system, right? And updating them based on different triggers that you can find along the process. So for example, if somebody fills out a form on the website, it's automatically in the system. You can automate that. You can set up autoresponders. So once they fill out a form, you say, you can send them an email right away and say, hey, you know, thanks for the follow-up. We'll, we'll be right with you in 24 hours or where, wherever it is. In the meantime, you can fill out the survey for us to give us more information, or you can you know, sign up for a time to book a call, something like that. Also, it helps to track your communications a lot better. Almost every CRM nowadays can be synced with your email so that you're able to see all of your notes, all of your past activities, meetings, everything, all of your calls and all of your email communications in one client profile. And that really helps you to be able to make quick decisions and stuff, right? Also, CRMs have the ability to track data points, right? So it might be answers that your, your client has given you throughout the process, right? And that might help you decide quicker whether somebody's qualified or not qualified for your services. And then on the back end, a CRM is great but it can't do everything. CRM is great for getting sales a lot of times, but if you you might have another system for managing projects, managing tasks, right? Like Wasana, ClickUp, you know, Trello, something like that. And the standard way of doing it is to mainly enter all the data into the new system. Again, you're able to automate that, push information directly from one CRM to another tool. So there's, in terms of tracking communications, automating some communications with the client and also automating kind of internal processes. A CRM is great to do that. Okay. So, well, we've covered what does a CRM do? Who is it for? What does it not do? What are some of the problems and the challenges that people have had? How it's going to save you time? I ask you all of these questions because I really want to show how this can really open up things for people who want to be expats, who want to work remote or even be a digital nomad because all of these things really free you up to be able to build your business and not be stuck to one location because that's really what it's all about. That's why we want to be expats. That's why we want to travel the world is so that we're our income. So our life is not just stuck in one place. We actually have the freedom to move around. And I think that a CRM is a valuable part of that. You know, if that is your goal, then a CRM system could really assist you. I also think that it allows you to Instead of having a large team or two or three people, it allows you to have software that deals with these things yourself. So in the same way that people normally have a secretary or an assistant or an executive assistant, these types of things, a lot of CRMs, autoresponders, calendar apps, these types of things replace this. So, I mean, I run a business with a very, very small team, but with a massive amount of software, which means I don't need to be trying to manage people as I'm six months in Brazil and a month in Colombia and a couple months in Panama and traveling around the world. All of these things get done and they get done correctly and they get done 24 hours a day, even while I'm sleeping, even while I'm on a different time zone, even while I'm out having dinner with my family and enjoying my life. 
Yeah. I mean, again, it just all comes back to being able to define a specific process and then being able to execute it a lot better, have a lot better understanding of what's going on in your business, right? Now, you might not need a CRM, for example, if you have a Shopify website or something like that, if that's the type of digital nomad you are, is that you don't need a full-fledged CRM. A lot of that's taking care of Shopify itself or you know other tools like that. But if you are, say, and I, I expect maybe a lot of your listeners are people who are pretty advanced in their careers already. They are a professional and they are an expert in something already. So you might be offering consulting services, which now, especially after the whole thing with the pandemic has passed, everyone is working remote anyway. So it's fine to take consultation calls on Zoom and to be able to track that and, and figure out how you can grow your business off of that. The CRM is really good at that. Okay. So before we get into the Dominican Republic, because I do want to save some time for that, because I'm super curious and I want to pick your brain about the island and everything like that. Just to wrap up the CRM side, if people are interested in CRMs, if they want to learn more, if they want to get a hold of you on that side, where can we send them? Yeah. Thank you so much for asking about that. The best and easiest way to reach out to me is just on my website. So that's www.isalesolutions.com. And that's just, you know, my last name, Isalis, and then solutions. So pretty easy to find. And yeah, I look forward to hearing from some of you. Okay. So normally I would wrap up the conversation here, but as I said, I want to save some time for Dominican Republic, but I wanted to make sure that you got a chance to put in your, your website there because we've just wrapped up talking about the, the CRM systems. Okay, Dominican Republic, what is it like? Tell me about life there. What is life like as an expat? How are the people, all of it? I, I want to hear the whole thing. Yeah, of course. So I love living in the Dominican Republic, and not just because now my, my family is here, but I think there's just so many advantages of living to the, in, in the DR, especially coming from the United States. I get to live abroad and have a whole different experience, but it's one of the cl closest countries to get to from the United States, right? So, you know, my, my parents were, for example, upset that I moved abroad because they wanted me close. And, you know, that's completely understandable. But in reality, I'm actually much closer to my parents in the DC, Washington, DC area than they are to my other brother who's in California, right? <laughs> so it, you have a whole different experience experience of, of living abroad while still being close enough to the United States if there's ever an emergency that you had to go back and see family or anything like that, right? Second thing is cost of living. Right now, I'm, I, we live pretty comfortably. I don't think we live lavishly at all, but we live comfortably and we live in an apartment right now that we're renting for less than $300 per month. Wow. How many bedrooms? Three bedrooms. Three bedrooms, two baths. So it's in a, in a pretty good area. Not, not the best area, but it's in a, in, in a, a de decent, safe area, three bedrooms, two baths, and it's great. And I converted what would be the service closet, as a lot of you know, Latin American homes and apartments have, converted that into my little office, right? So it's spacious, it's comfortable, and we pay less than $300 a month in, in rent, right? In addition to that, you know, food bill, it depends where, you know, what you order and everything. There's a lot of ag agricultural stuff here that's grown right on the island. So you could spend very little money on food if you wanted, $100 or much less per month for an entire family. Or, you know, if depending on what you get, whether you like some of the food that's imported, it could be close to what you might expect also in the United States. I think we spend on average probably about, for a family of four, probably about 400 per month. Right? So again, it's not that much, especially compared to some places in the United States. Cheaper than Panama, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I assume Panama has a lot of imported food. Is that correct? I mean, well, we grow a lot of the food here, but I don't know, maybe we just have expensive taste and we're always cooking Thai food or Japanese or, you know, so everything is imported. We get our meats from, you know, Argentina or Brazil or something like that. But I mean, if it's local fruits and vegetables, yeah, it's very affordable here or eggs or fish or these types of things, but it's the specialized ingredients that you can go a little bit crazy on. Yeah. And, and same thing here. I mean, that can happen here, but it's easy enough to eat completely locally and, and not break the bank at all. So, you know, we've covered rent can be pretty cheap. 
food can be pretty cheap. And I like the style of food here, like a lot of Latin America, Central American food. You know, it's a lot of plantains, a lot of, you know, rice and beans, chicken, pork, beef, stuff like that. So I like it all. And, and I, I like the style of cooking here. I do a lot of cooking myself. I love to, to cook in my own style and then in the local, you know, cooking, you know, style as well. Yeah. You know, just some other things, I guess, that are very important. I just love how diverse the, the geography of the Dominican Republic is. So first things first, I, I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners are, you know, know a lot about geography, but Dominican Republic shares the island of Hispaniola with Haiti. Right? So it's a big island. The Dominican Republic covers about two thirds of the island, pretty sure. And it not only has some of the best beaches in the world, but also has some pretty spectacular mountains as well. When you think of the Dominican Republic, a lot of people think of just Punta Cana, which is an amazing beach, but it has a lot more than that. I mean, they have the tallest peak in the Caribbean and it's 10,000 feet high, right? So it's, it's, you have some decent sized mountains. And that's what I love is you know, you have, you know, the, the tropical near the beaches, you have some high mountains. You know, I had a good friend of mine who's visited the Dominican Republic a couple of times now and also visited Hawaii. And he's like, when he first came, he was like, wow, you know, Matt, this is the Hawaii of the Caribbean because it does have the tall mountains and the, and the beautiful beaches. It, so it's affordable. Um, the geography is awesome. Another thing that you can't ignore is also safety, right? In general here, as opposed, I think, to some other countries in Latin America, if you're smart, you don't have too much to worry about safety. If you're in some other countries, I think there's a lot more gang violence or drug violence or stuff like that. Yes, I'm sure there's, there's tons of, of stuff goes on, but it doesn't get in the way of normal citizens just living their lives here, right? In general, I can't think of a time where I felt really that unsafe here at all. And whereas, you know, I've been in cities in the United States where I felt much less safe. So honestly, in terms of safety, that's another big plus. Yeah, I, I feel safe. I feel happy here. So what's the locals like? Do you guys have a lot of local friends? You know, are they welcoming to an expat coming in, a foreigner coming into their country? What does that look like? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of expats here. I don't really inter interact with a lot of expats who I pretty much interact with at this point is just my, my wife's family who's Dominican. But yeah, everyone is, is very welcoming to foreigners. There's a, a decent sized population of American expats. There's You'll find some European expats as well from Italy, Spain as well. And yeah, so I mean, there's people are really friendly. I, I think Dominicans are always known to be very friendly, lively, people, a lot of energy. It comes in, in the through in the music and the food and everything. Uh, they're always very welcoming. I, I, again, like in terms of feeling unsafe or uncomfortable, I haven't because people are always just, you know, very welcoming. My wife and I, when we first started dating, we would just go around the country and try to find different waterfalls or hiking trails and everything. And we inevitably got lost <laughs> a lot of times or almost like running out of gas or off the beaten path and no way back. And, you know, we find people to help give us directions, give us rides and everything without a problem. So a, a very warm and welcoming country as well. So what about climate? Is it as hot and humid as everywhere else in the Caribbean? Or do you get some cooler weather with the mountains and things like that there? Yeah, so it, it depends where you are in the country. But in general, it's hot year round, right? Where the high is in the, the winter months might be mid 80s. And then in the summer months is 95, 100, you know, pretty hot. Humidity is obviously way up there, especially near the coast. But if you go up to the mountains, yeah, it can get pretty cold, right? So if you're in like the, we're in the valley, right? I, I live in Santiago, which is kind of like in the middle of the country between mountain ranges. Hot year round, the lows can probably be at night, might get down to a, a very comfortable, you know, 70 degrees, right? Very comfortable. But if you'd go up into the mountains, then you can have highs in the 60s and lows, not quite at freezing, but just a little bit above that. Yeah. So the, the climate changes a lot, which I like. Okay. And then what would be some like recommendations of either cities to live in or neighborhoods or areas or places that people would want to check out? Either not so much as a tourist, because like, I mean, anyone can go online and just find a tourist area, but like cool places to live or cool areas to actually set up a base as an expat or a digital nomad. 
Yeah, thanks for asking that question. I, I love talking about the different places in the DR. So the first things first, I do want to state the obvious that the tourist part of the country is all the way to the east side. And that's where like stuff like Punta Cana is. I've talked to people who have been to Punta Cana, but don't know that they've been to the Dominican Republic. <laughs> that's the tourist part of the country. But in, in terms of like the three biggest major cities, right? You have the capital, which is Santo Domingo. Any type of luxury or any store that you, you'd hope to find in the United States or anything else, you can probably find in Santo Domingo. I think that the greater metro area of Santo Domingo probably has, I was going to say 2 million, but it might be much more than that. It has a couple million people. It, it's a bigger city, you know, comparatively, but it, it's a great place. You can get everything you need there. If you're working with visa stuff or, or residency stuff, you're always going to have to go to that capital city. I like it for its attractions. I don't like it because of it's a big city and I don't like big city life, right? So that's the big city. It's in the south, right? Kind of south central. And then going up to kind of like the main highway of the country, you get to the middle of the country, Santiago. That's where I live. Uh, with its greater metro area, I think it's about a million people. And I think that the more concentrated city part is probably around half a million, right? So I see it like pretty comparable to like Baltimore, which is where I, I grew up in the United States, right? I love Santiago. It's, it's a lot slower than the capital, but you still get almost everything you need here, right? And again, the, the price is obviously a lot cheaper living in Santiago than in the capital city. And then if you keep on going up the highway, right, we started in the south at Santo Domingo, we got to the middle of the country in, in Santiago, you go up that same highway, I think it's just highway one, you get to uh, Puerto Plata, right? Somewhat of a touristy place, some cruise ships will come in, but also a lot of local people uh, live there as well. It's probably has a quarter million people, more or less, uh, but don't, you know, you have to fact check me there, but uh, it's decently big as well, has some of the decent amenities and you're on the beach. So those are the, the three big main cities that you need to know. Now, in terms of the places that are my favorite to go, I love going to the Eastern Peninsula, right? You have Punta Cana a little bit further south, and then you see like a little peninsula up top called Samana. And that is an amazing peninsula that is slightly touristy, but not nearly to the level as Punta Cana. Amazing, laid back, some of the best beaches in the world. And you can find amazing places right on the beach. No, pretty cheap. So I love Samana and Las Terenas. That's actually the area where my wife and I went to our honeymoon because they have this cool treehouse village where it's like it's a hotel and the lily tree houses in the middle of the forest. Samana and Las Terenas is, is my favorite place to go for the beach and for kind of mountainy beach kind of type of area. But then you want to go back to the center of the country for like the straight mountain experience where you're up 6,000 feet surrounded by these amazing peaks and valleys. There's two places that are really cool. Harabakoa, it's a little bit more developed. The road to get there is a little bit easier. But again, you have so many people, who, the richer people will have the second homes there. And it's just an amazing place, just amazing views and just, but it still has good infrastructure. A place that's a little bit farther away but it is like right where the, those tallest peaks are, you know, hitting eight, nine, 10,000 feet is Constanza, which is also known as one of the most fertile places, right? You get great coffee up there, great, you know, fruits and vegetables and flowers that come from that area. And you actually have a history of immigrants from different cultures like Japan, China, and then Spanish that they have all these different kind of groupings up there of, of people historically moved up there. So those are my favorite parts, amazing beaches, amazing mountains. To get from one extreme corner to the other might be like 12 hours of the country. If you went all the way from the Northwest to the Southeast, maybe a little bit less, maybe eight. But going, for example, from Puerto Plata on the North Coast down to San Domingo on the South Coast, uh, that would be about like maybe about four and a half hours. Depends how, how safely you drive, but around that time. So it's a big country. For being an island, it's a big and beautiful country. Amazing. Thinking now already about renting a car and then trying to like circumvent the whole island or something like that or drive the whole thing. That'd be pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, I love this place. When I was a student, I got to camp on the southern part of the island, which is a lot more nature reserve, right? To the, the Southwest. I got to camp right on the beach. And it's just, it has everything that, that you want. So highly recommend that people come to visit. And even if people want to live here, I think it's a great place to live. Amazing. Well, I know that Copa does 
direct flights to DR. So maybe I'll come visit you at some point, bring the kids over, bring the wife over and we'll do a big family vacation or something together. Yeah. The, the invitation is open for you guys. Nice one. Thank you very much, my friend. It was super interesting. I love learning from you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with my audience. If they want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? You send them just to my website, www.isalesolutions.com. And I'll be happy to work with anyone listening to this podcast. And again, Mikael, thank you so much for having me on. This was a great conversation. I love talking about the Dominican Republic and I love talking about what I do. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed today's interview. I sure had a ton of fun recording it. Before you guys go, I want you to check out a newsletter that I'm just absolutely obsessed with right now. So my buddy Marco Wutzer was on the podcast for episode 137, and we talked about anything and everything to do with crypto. Now, I know quite a bit about crypto. I've been in the space for roughly five years now, and I've made a lot of money and I've lost a lot of money. And I really used to do these things on my own. I used to do my own analysis, my own research, et cetera, et cetera. But to tell you the truth, I don't have time for that. And I would have to spend all day long doing it. But when I met Marco, I really started diving into his work. And he runs a paid newsletter called Project Serenity. You guys can find out more about it at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto. The newsletter is excellent. He discusses different projects. He has buy alerts, sell alerts. He shows you what they entered into a position at, what it should be sold at. And the response has been amazing and his track record has been phenomenal. So I want you guys to check it out. If you have experience in crypto, if you are trading, if you maybe are not trading yet, but you really want to trade, then these are the projects that you might want to get involved in, okay? It's it's not a how-to course by any means. It's an investment newsletter. It's con- done completely digital, but the product is fantastic and everyone who's signed up has had a fantastic result with it. So all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto, and we will see you next Wednesday on the podcast. Enjoy your day. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.